Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who always turn the other cheek when cleaning up tenants. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Well, what's happening, everybody? It's show number 565, and on today's show, we're talking about power jointers versus jointer planes, finishing shop walls, which smoothing plane, and regretting Harvey purchases. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. All right. But before we get to that, we want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by... Oh, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it again. Ready? And regretting Harvey purchases. There you go. That's is that a little bit better? better? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's actually more mark. accurate. Okay. But before we get to that, we want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler's been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Rockler's giving away a $250 gift card to one lucky Wood Talk listener. Enter for your chance to win before January 31st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. And if you want to help support the show, you can do so. You can head, head over to patreon.com slash woodtalk. <laughs> patreon.com slash woodtalk and sign up to become a patron of this beautiful, incredibly sexy show that we do. Oh, that you're yeah. listening to right now in those ear holes of yours. Mm. This time we're thanking Jeff Stewart, Chris Labushisky, and... Sure. Yep. Ursula <laughs> <laughs> Woodcraft. Labushisky. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would imagine. I, mean, I broke it up phonetically. Labushisky, maybe? Labushisky, maybe? No. I like Labushisky. Let's go with Labushisky. Labushisky. Sounds way better. Christoph Labushisky. You're welcome for this friendly improvement skill I have. From northern Siberia. That's nicely done. All right. Well, we have a few uh, pieces of news and announcements. And unfortunately, once in a while, we do have to have a uh, very sad announcement um, that a a good member of the community, a great craftsman, and a I knew him for his saws and have one of his saws, uh, Eric Florip. Uh, he passed away recently. And I know he was sick for a while, um, but I also think if I memory serves, this came on quite fast. Uh, what he was dealing with, and um, our condolences go out to his family and friends and everybody who um, must be dealing with a terrible situation right now, especially this this time of year, of course, is always really rough. So our condolences go out. Um, I, I, we talked about this a little bit offline. I have one of his saws. Shannon's been hoping to try one, so I think I might just send it to Shannon so he can experiment with it. But he made great saws. Uh, I have one yeah. of his dovetail saws. Yeah. Heard from a lot of people that you got to try these these are amazing these are amazing and it was always one of those things where like we would exchange uh dms and it'd be like yeah yeah mm -hmm. let's do this and all right well let's catch up next week or whatever and it just never happened and it's just one of those really yeah. sad things now it's like yeah, yeah. sure yeah and it was always a, like an underdog kind of story exactly. situation yeah. where there's a lot of saw makers out there but it was like him doing his thing and it's actually a really good saw it was just a, a fun thing to support and uh, wish wish everybody over there the best. It's uh, always sad to get news like that. Yeah, I have a couple of his marking gauges, and I like them a lot. Yeah. Well, there you go. And I miss his sarcasm. Um, he had this like very special sarcastic wit about him. You know, I didn't get to know the really, guy. It was so always really entertaining. It's like you know how you and I are sarcastic back and forth on no social media sometimes. No. When you when you love me, you, you do yes. treat me that way. <laughs> it's like that, but like even more. That's so. how I show affection. <laughs> he was very well, good about a, that, and I'm like, I can appreciate like a very sarcastic person. Yeah, yeah. So we had, we had I wish I would have gotten to know him better because that sounds like someone I would really like. 
Yes. That's <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah. It's a real bummer. Um, so all the best to, to his family and friends. And, um, Unfortunately, it's always hard to transition to things that are a little bit lighter, but that, that's what the show is about. So we are going to move on. Um, I do have to make a quick announcement about a book signing and a meet and greet that I'm going to be having at Matt's house. No, just Sweet. kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, meet my kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm having a little um, book signing meet and greet at the St. Louis Other Rockler, a.k.a. Woodcraft. Nice. So... Uh, the local Woodcraft store got in touch with us, asked if we want to come and do a meet and greet. And I said, as long as I could bring some books and sell them. And uh, which, so we'll be there. It's always, um, well, because you have so anything many. but mine. I mean, that's what I was kind of getting at. Is it your own books or just, <laughs> just I don't know what I have on I, I got uh, some shelves like of stuff still. I got to get rid of. <laughs> I got some J.R.R. Tolkien over there. I got a barbecue Bible. Flexner so. finishing books from the I'll sign, early 2000s. I'll sign any book. I don't care. There <laughs> you else? go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bring any book and I'll sign it. Uh, Nicole and I will both be there. Uh, 9 a.m., I believe, is the time for that. So that should be a fun little event. So if you're in the area, in the Missouri, uh, St. Louis, Missouri area, please come out. Come see us. Come hang out. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, I got a little kind of last minute one. I wasn't sure that this was going to happen or not. But, um, you know, the woodworking show, like the woodworking show. The woodworking shows? Yeah, that's in uh, that's in Baltimore right now. <clears throat> and I originally was not going to be able to get out there, but uh, I am. In fact, well, it's snowing kind of sort of right now. But as long as mm-hmm. we have typical Maryland weather and that snow turns to rain and we don't get any accumulation, I will be there tomorrow. I had had several people who said, are you coming out? Let me know if you're coming out. Let's hook up. So no official meetup, but I will be mm-hmm. there. If you're there, come find me amongst all the sea of people. Be happy to nice. talk to you. If you do see Shannon, um, something he really enjoys, if you just go behind him and pinch his butt, <laughs> he likes that. It's a great he way does. to start a conversation. Big fan. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do every time. All right, you want to get this last piece of news, Shannon? I love the fact that I just made that announcement about something happening tomorrow, and this show won't drop until, what, a week? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> nice. Uh, right on. Well done, sir. Well, so, well hopefully so, someone pinched your butt anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, hopefully. I'll report so. back. <laughs> Please. I'll report back on the butt pinching. All right. This is uh, this is from Mark. He says, um, any comments regarding the acquisition of Fine Woodworking Magazine? By Active Interest Media, AIM. I didn't know what that's what AIM stood for. Now I know. I uh, thought it was AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> for those of us who are old. old? <laughs> and for those yeah, of you who don't know, AIM also owns Woodsmith and Shop Notes. So basically, Shop Notes, Woodsmith, Fine Woodworking. Don't they also own don't Popular, popular woodworking? woodworking? Yeah, I was just going to say. I thought, I thought they did. Yeah. So this huh. is just one big conglomerate that owns all, almost all of the act current, ironically, the currently active <laughs> woodworking yeah. magazines. Um, do we have comments yeah, on that? I don't know. All I of mean, them. It's all of them, right? All the ones that are actually being published still. Wood. Well, I mean, there might. There's always a few of those interesting outliers. Like you go to the bookstore into the uh, periodical section, you might see some the stuff that we probably never subscribe to, but they've they've been doing their thing for a while. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I have, still, I have um, zero comments. Oh, I have picked up a yeah, Wood and Magazine is still there, right? And Wood, yeah, but that, that's exactly I why I have no comments. Like I couldn't even tell you who's being published. I mean, I still go to the Fine Woodworking website a fair bit. Um, yeah, I apologize, Logan. I don't go to the popular woodworking website as much because there's <laughs> too many pop ups. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> sorry. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, how, how I, it is, I guess. I, I still delve into the. Um, 
you know, the, the subscription side of the fine woodworking, basically every single issue is there. I've really not had a need to have a print subscription in quite some time. Plus yeah. I haven't been into a bookstore in quite a while to actually like, I, that's what I used to do is like browse the periodical rack and look at my, mm-hmm. get my woodworking magazine fixed there. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. No comment. Well, and I mean, at this point, at this stage, I mean, maybe 15 years ago, if this was a topic on the show, we'd be like, <gasps> and now fine. Cause it, there was always this sort of, not an animosity, but that definitely a little bit of a competitive, um, uh, sort of thing going on between your, your fine woodworking people and your pop woodworking people. Yeah. Um, those always seem like the yeah. two pinnacles, right? Two different personalities. Uh, if you would give a company a personality, uh, but now, again, same thing. Someone like Logan, great person. All the people who are currently working at these magazines, I don't mean this to sound bad against them, but the personalities of those magazines were formed by the all the different um, editors and the people who wrote for the magazines that gave it a personality. And they've had so much turnover in the last 10 plus years. Yeah. And so much of this has, has watered things down to the point where who actually is writing there anymore? I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, well, it's most really the, hard to follow. Most of the quote, old guard popular woodworking have now written for fine woodworking, <laughs> you know, yeah, they're Megan either in and fine Chris have both shown up or just lost our press. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know. It all blends together, but I mean, isn't it kind of like inevitable? Is this the writing on the wall? They will eventually go away, but it seems to me the only way to, to make sense in the publishing market anymore is just to continue to acquire. Like you're mm-hmm. not trying to grow your own product anymore you just go and acquire the other people and consolidate because everybody's audiences are getting smaller and smaller and smaller so uh yeah i don't know nail in the coffin we'll just see what happens ultimately i mean if these things are shrinking and now it's all under one umbrella but they continue to let them operate independently and do what they do best great that's awesome you know maybe it means they'll have more funding i'd always want to like you know be negative about these things because sometimes acquisitions can actually be helpful i think with this acquisition it's more like they're under the umbrella. They're buying the back catalog and all the intellectual property that goes along with it, so they can yeah. repackage and repurpose existing stuff. Because yeah. as far as the magazine stuff go, I mean, they could reprint an article from 15 years ago, and most people have no idea that it's not brand new. That's sure. the great thing about woodworking, isn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> heck yeah. Well, and seriously, that's who's this, who that- this new author? Oh, <laughs> it's Glenn Huey. Oh, I never oh, heard of him before. Yeah. I've never heard of this guy. Right, it's I got, I got a Patrick. YouTube. What's this? I never heard of this person before. It was this new up and coming author? This new <laughs> up and coming guy, uh, Sam Maloof. Yeah, Sounds really interesting. And, and this is exactly what I was going to say. Well, not Sam Maloof, but I had a guy ask me if I knew about this Hungarian guy who cuts dovetails with a frame saw. It's amazing. Oh, you got to check this guy out. And I was like, you mean Frank Klaus? Klaus? <laughs> He's up really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the since the memory of most woodworkers starts in 2006, you know, from uh, online education, you, you can go, probably find a lot of people that they would have no idea who they are. Even, I think that's even pushing it for most people these days. Yeah. 2006. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's true. I agree. Judging from I, uh, I think it's comments COVID, I get on COVID since basically 2020 on at this point now. Yeah. And it's generally a group of people who are so certain of, of that they know a thing that they really do not know, <laughs> but they want to let you know how much they don't know it. So they're going to They're very the certain of themselves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's it's fun. Hey, we should do a whole show on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you that's uh, that's it for this. <laughs> We probably have, yeah. And if right. we have, it doesn't matter. <laughs> According to Matt, we can just do it again. That's true. Just, uh, we don't have to new. do it again. We just plug it back in. We just hit the like, just insert it in. 
There we go. Yeah, just cut and paste it. Yeah. Uh, Todd, can you cut and paste the last time we <laughs> talked about that uh, right into this spot right here, please? Yeah. Good luck good. finding it. No! I tried or to find well, something. A very well indexed back catalog. I'm like, out. Yeah. That's I tried crazy. to find something earlier today and I was like, nope, not happening. Like, we just don't put enough information in the notes to find those things. So it's fine. It's all good. All right. Let's get to what's on the bench. Uh, for me, I'm working on Ava's vanity still. And I am experiencing that thing that happens when, you know, we kind of warn people against this. Don't take your project too far along and then leave it sit before it becomes like part of an assembly. Because if you do that, things tend to move. They don't stay flat. You get a little cupping. You get your joinery that kind of I was wondering where you're going with that one. Mm-hmm. Like, you forget what you did? Is that where he's going with this? Well, there's that, Ooh. too. <laughs> that could be, yes. That I happens, to, too. Well, well, do you what guys, was I doing like, again? If, especially, <laughs> we had a holiday break, right? So I knew I was going to be away for a while. I will do this um, because it's not just the project itself. It's what we're doing with the documentation of the project. So I need to know where I left off. Literally, what was the last thing I said? Mm-hmm. And the good thing about what we do is I could usually go find the clip. And then yeah. that will refresh my memory on where I was. Because yeah, they're watching will, clips. What was, what was yeah, the last like, segment I filmed? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, I will go right. down and just write down what it was I did and then what, if I were staying in the shop, what that next thing would have been. And then that usually helps, like, uh, get my head back in, in the game. But no, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about, like, you're doing a dovetailed case. You cut your dovetails. Everything's good. But you're not ready to do the assembly because you have two or three other things to do to those boards before the assembly. And then you go on vacation. And when you come back, those boards are no longer perfectly flat. You know, you might have a little bit of cupping here and there. Your dovetails may have swelled or shrunk, depending on the conditions. And you go to put things back together, and suddenly it's not all fitting the way it did before. That's kind of what I'm dealing with Ava's vanity here and a bunch of dovetailed casework and things like that. That's just, it's not so bad that it's ruining anything, but it's definitely taking some of the fun out of it. The accuracy that I had before (laughs) is like not as good anymore. So I'm now fun. What are you talking about? Huh? Hmm? What? I like having fun. fun. Who cares what you like? (laughs) It's my shop. I care what I like. (laughs) So, so yeah, I'm trying to get through that uh, and uh, just powering through it now at this point. But um, my goal originally was to get this thing done for Christmas, and I had it laid out on a schedule, and it made me realize it's, it's that yes, will. I could just different Christmas. I, yes, yeah. it'll be next Christmas. I could have done it, but that also means with my my brother was in from out of town, my mom was here. Like I would have been in the shop the whole time, and that's not how I wanted to spend my holidays. So, uh, so it got delayed. But that's it for me. All right. What about you, Shannon? Um. Well. I'm normally quite happy with the size of my shop. People ask me a lot, like, you know, do you wish you had a bigger shop? And I've gotten so used to the space that I have and so well optimized that it's pretty good until now. Um, I have, <laughs> I have, um, well, I put a deposit down on basically my house is getting an entire facelift, new siding, new roof, new windows, new doors, everything. Um, but uh, it's been a, a nightmare getting it scheduled, getting the actual parts, the siding and stuff in. I guess supply chain is still a very big issue. Also, when you tend to, if I contracted with like a big home remodeling company, I probably would have paid a lot more money and probably would have gotten done faster. I went with a mom and pop company. I really liked the people, but you know, when they're buying one house of siding at a time, the delays are pretty bad. So I've been waiting for six months now, and this is definitely not a criticism on this company. I like these people. They've been really good about it. It's just the as things kind of trickle in. I've had to find a place to put them. So I have, oh, I have shingles in my shop. I have uh, a front door and that includes both side lights. So the complete casement, oh, it's 88 inches wide. Um, that's basically in, in your almost, shop too. 
it's in my shop. It's leaning up against my my grizzly planer. So if, if shop, anybody who's seen my shop, that's a big no, door. it's really not. So that's a big picture door. my shop. My workbench is smack dab in the middle of the shop, and I've got about three feet on either side, long edge of the workbench. Well, now I've got a casement door wedged in between the planer and the bench, so I can't go around the bench clockwise. I can't get through there. In the back of the shop, I have the back door, the French door, in its casement, leaning up against the wall. I can kind of squeeze by that if I like turn on edge and go through from there but then I've got boxes of like the new front light fixture the new rear light fixture all the door hardware piled up in boxes uh, of course the 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 um, bundles of shingles are in the way the siding hasn't shown up yet um, hopefully when that shows up like is somebody going to come and steal my siding hopefully I can just put that out front because um, there's really no space <laughs> for it but yeah, it's it's kind of changed things. I went out there the other day and my, my workbench has a case piece on it that I'm actually trying to cut edge banding for. I've got this hunk of a 12 quarter Iroko that I'm slicing strips off of them and I turn into edge banding. And I'm like, you know what? I can go do that. But I physically couldn't get over to the saw bench without like climbing over stuff. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I turned around and went back into the shop and, and I'm overhauling the uh, the cockpit on my triathlon bike. That's what's on my bench right now. New aero nice. bars, new uh, new hydraulic brakes. So yeah, that's it's not it's next to my woodworking shop, so that kind of counts. I'm using tools, go. using specialized tools, but well, part tools that are specialized. But yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a that's a biker joke. Yeah, it's frustrating because I was like really yesterday, especially I got finished with work and I was like, ah, I can't wait to get in the shop. I knew exactly what I was going to do, and then I was like, oh right, damn it, <laughs> I can't move around. Yeah, that's around. frustrating. So, oh, well, you know, mm. such is life. All right, Matt, what about you? Um, Park Tools is based here. Yes, they are. Area. Are they really? They are. Yeah, and the owner contacted me, I think, it must have been like four years ago now, because he was making a bassinet. Nice. No kidding. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, like, that's an interesting crossover. I that's forgot you guys cool. were like, into bikes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a lost opportunity. You don't even ride a bike. I don't even Actually, ride a bike. you do. I did see you ride a bike once. There was like a family oh, yeah. picture of I you guys we'd... on your bikes. Was it a banana yeah. seat? Yeah, it was a big banana seat. He had a baseball <laughs> card in the spokes too. It was pretty Sweet. cool. Right on the pegs. <laughs> yep. I could, I could seriously, I, I would really want one of those. Like as like an around the town commuter. That'd be fun. I could go for that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. Uh-huh. Well, I'm, I'm working on cabinets still. Still, is, uh, I feel exciting. like you're going to be doing that for a while. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting to the worst. The end here. I was, I was talking. Who was I talking? To? Oh, I was talking to Brad yesterday about like everything's going on. I'm like, it's not that bad. It doesn't, it doesn't feel so monotonous because like every single cabinet is different and has its own weird, unique challenge going on with it. So, mm-hmm. which is good and bad because it's like every single cabinet is its own project. It's like its own massive undertaking of like a single project. If, like, if that was the only project, great. I'd be yeah, fine, be but done. like it's that big project, <laughs> and then like another one that's got the same exact challenges, same amount of time frame. But it's um, I'm in the shop. I'm kind of generally enjoying things, so it's good. It feels feels pretty good. I made this giant uh, appliance garage cabinet that has this uh, retractable pocket door thing on it, mm-hmm. and the um, instructions are kind of weird. Like this weird thing for me. Like the instructions for that pocket door are technically very good all the information is there but holy (laughs) hell good luck finding what you're looking for yeah or figuring out what they're trying to show you because it's a non-linguistical instruction manual it's all (laughs) diagrams and pictures 
And and correct me if I'm wrong. Through. This is very expensive hardware too, probably. The hardware mechanism was eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh, I don't know why oh. it's so funny. Like we run into this at the Millwork House because they do a lot of nothing. Nothing they do custom doors and everything. It's all super high end German or some sort of European manufactured. Yeah. And the instructions, one hundred percent of the time, like they're there. Like there are instructions included. There are some pictures. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it makes IKEA look like it makes a lot of sense. It's yeah, nuts. the manual is sixty-five pages. That's the instructions, <laughs> and you're nice. like, oh, "What the hell is this hardware?" <laughs> and at least, and at least, when you approach that, you're like, "This is going to be freaking challenging and ridiculous." And at first, I feel like it's like the your like expectations are like way the hell up here. Like this is going to be super complicated. And as you kind of get into it, you're like, "Okay, this isn't that bad." Then you're like, "Why the hell can they make this easier?" Or like have some kind of more step-by-step any kind of instruction that like even a video that someone like walks you through like the intricacies of setting this up because all the measurements are going to be different depending on whatever your install size is which is fine but like everything's got acronyms now like i have i literally took a card i wrote all the acronyms out so i had that with me as i was going (laughs) through the manual because i got sick of flipping back to the key to see what all these all these acronyms meant it's all shorthand I'm like, okay, well, this is eh, whatever. Anyway, I spent a few hours with it. It makes a lot more sense to me now. I don't know. I'll never do it again because I don't know when I would ever do one of these pocket doors. It was kind of like building the Rubo the first time. I'm like, yeah, it took a really long time because I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And you yeah. kind of go through the instructions, like you re- read the instructions, rewatch the instructions, you go through it, and you like lay it out and blah, blah, blah. And by the end, it'd be like, oh, yeah, it wasn't that bad. I could do that again really mm-hmm. quickly. But when the hell are you ever going to make another workbench? That's the whole point of that right. Rubo workbench. Like, that's your lifetime bench. That's how I felt with this hardware. I haven't felt that feeling in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about this offline uh, with bigger brands of tools and, like, deeper industry, higher quality tools, mm-hmm. where there's an expectation as consumers that you go to that level, you go, well, I mean, it's gotta be the best instructions and they're going to give me as much hand holding as I could possibly need. But it seems like the opposite happens <laughs> when you go to the higher quality stuff, there is sort of an implied expectation that you know what you're doing. Know what you're you doing. don't yeah. need all the instructions for setting up that, you know, $5,000 bandsaw because you can afford a $5,000 bandsaw. You should know what the heck you're doing. Yeah. Um, so it's like same thing with some of this advanced hardware. I mean, even, even as simple as undermount drawer slot, like oh, yeah. the, the instructions because they have to accommodate every possible scenario that could happen it's so confusing the first time you do it and then you like you said you look at it afterwards you go well this really wasn't that bad all they had to do was say say it this way and i would have understood it but they don't have to worry about that they're delivering that product mostly to industry pros who yeah. already know how to install it there's the yep. keep going up that spectrum when you get into the hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment they don't give you any instructions at all, but they send a team. Yeah, you get a guy. <laughs> they send yeah. like three guys and they spend like a week with you showing you how to yeah. set it up and how do you maintain it. And yeah, that's that's a that's the other end. So it does get better. You just have to spend a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Get over that hump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we got a we got a manual that's like a phone book for our flood coder machine, and it's still shrink wrapped because like the flood coder <laughs> was delivered with Steve. <laughs> and Steve yeah. like showed us how to use it and walked us through it. And the we had problems, just you call Steve. Number. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just written in Sharpie on the plastic. Here's Steve's number, call him. Yeah. It's yeah. sitting on top of the machine. No one's opened it yet. Nice. All right. Well, speaking of uh, tools, quality, and <laughs> expectations, 
Matt and I are uh, going to join forces here to give you guys a little Harvey update. It's a collab. The first it's a collab. We're going to collab. I love it. So um, who wants oh to go first? <laughs> you got yours first, so why don't you go first? Okay. So I uh, purchased, if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen this. I did purchase the latest Harvey Miter Gauge to serve as sort of a supplement to my review and hopefully redeem um, redeem them in a sense. Uh, not that they need my redemption, but I felt like it was a new attempt at making a better version of what they had. I, I felt like I owed it to myself as well as to other people uh, to review the new one. So I got that. I also got their Ambassador 14-inch bandsaw. We talked about that in the last show. It was um, one of the Black Friday sale things that I picked up. Uh, the bandsaw did have a problem, but it was a shipping issue, uh, damage that occurred during shipping, they were really attentive and helpful with that. Got me a new bolt that I needed, a little pin. Got that thing assembled. And I will say just overall, pretty impressed with this bandsaw. Very sturdy. The vibration is absolutely minimal. Cut quality is really good. And so far, so good on the bandsaw. Nothing bad to say about that at all. The miter gauge has been interesting. Um, I've already sent mine back and had one re sent back to me that they had to go over carefully to make sure it was not flawed as the first one was. They improved a lot. They fixed a lot of things that I thought were wrong with it and improved some of the things, like even if they didn't totally fix something, it's better on, on this one. So I actually like it a lot. But in the process of making changes, there were two things I found that were new flaws. And um, so I got, got in touch with them. I'm doing my due diligence on this. Like I'm not gonna be like immediately going to the internet and going, hey everybody, look, it's still broken. Like <laughs> I'm gonna deal with the company. Like I'm gonna I give would. them a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Matt would, uh, amateur. Uh, and I, you know, I want to, I want to handle this as professionally as possible. And get, yeah, it means that I'm not going to get a video out next week. This is a process; it takes time. Uh, so fortunately, they've been super helpful. At this point, it's hard to gauge how much is because they know who I am, and how much is just simply this is what they do for people. Every they don't email know who you are, Come they on. might not. I'm put not going to assume put that, that ego away. <clears throat> <laughs> Listen, it's something I always have to think about and I'm not sure and I, I never know for sure and I don't want to ever assume, but I get paragraphs in return emails um, with, with, with this situation. So I don't know what's going on. Anyway, they had a, a couple of issues and I, my review will go into detail on that. They sent me the new one. The new one fixed one of the problems, but not totally fixed the second problem. And the, they're like, thank you for making us aware of this. And it is a fundamental design flaw in this thing. And it just, it's one of those things, like even with the last one, what happens in these companies? And I guess it's like, I don't work for a company like that. I don't run a company like that. I'm sure there's all kinds of red tape and hierarchy that leads to a product design not landing in the hands of a capable woodworker. And I don't mean that to, to insult their testing. process, but this is, this is something that any woodworker who spends any time with a miter gauge would eventually find this flaw. And I don't understand how this market, this product gets to market without having gone through that filter. If it truly is a design flaw because they, they made a change to the stop and that's what it comes down to. And they've shortened the little guide bar. So you know how there's like the little T-nut that goes in, locks it into the track, but there's also a little bar that goes into the slot, uh -huh. um, which is kind of keeps it riding smooth, right? Uh -huh. They've shortened that by about two thirds. It's a lot shorter now. So when you tighten it down, you got movement in your stop. Now this is a stop that is amazing in terms of like rotate it once and you get one thousandth 
movement of your your stop uh, head, right? So it's meant for accuracy, but I can get 12 thousandths of yeah. movement by just pushing right. on it and rotating it because it's not cinched down hard enough. And the reason is there's just not enough bearing surface in that little thing that glides into the slot. And they recognized that, admitted it, and said that they're, you know, they're working on solutions or, or looking at it. But wh why me? I'm a moron. Like, yeah. I'm just some ding-dong that makes videos on YouTube. <laughs> why did no one else in the company find this problem? I don't understand. Well, the how real that question happens. is, did no one find it or was like James Kahn heading up their QC department and he shipped the book without four pages, you know, <laughs> ship it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what you wonder. Somebody somewhere you would hope found it. But did somebody just say, go ahead and move it? Like maybe yeah. the person who made the decision to ship it doesn't isn't a woodworker and doesn't yeah. understand. Although that's I feel like that would be more egregious. Though. It's a stop. So it should be obvious that like it's moving. and it's not just the stop. It might very well be one of the most accurate and easily controllable stops on the market that allows you to literally say, oh, I need to just go like just a skosh more and you could just boop a thousand. Yeah, like that's a great stop. It's mm -hmm. it's designed for that level of accuracy. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit but perplexed at at. It's not it's designed not, for that level of accuracy. It's it's, and it's, you, can it, problem is, you can move it 13 thousandths, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> the, last one, the last one didn't do this. Their previous stop, which was one of the things that really wasn't broken. I mean, there was, there was stuff they could have improved on it, but it wasn't broken to this extent. And this new one, they made a change, and they shortened this thing that they didn't need to shorten, and now it doesn't really cinch down as well. So how quickly did you make this discovery? Within about 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. So, yeah. you know, we're not, we're not rocket surgeons here. Um, just <laughs> basically setting up and like, in other words, this could be uncovered in your typical internet unboxing video. Like this doesn't even require months of experience to, to uncover the, the bad. No, not at all. Wow. No. And I mean, th the other thing too, that was interesting was all the things that they had fixed and made better were stuff that was brought up in, in the review that I did and it did make me chuckle because I, you guys might remember that there was a blowback and response to mm -hmm. my review with people who were adamantly defending it. Like that. I stole the honor of their girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And, um, <laughs> um, so my, my logic here is like, so, Hey, hold on a second. So they fixed a whole bunch of things that weren't broken like in their mind, right? These things weren't a problem according to these other people. Um, well, then why do they fix them? Why did they change those things? Because now they're not broken anymore. And I and fully admit that. New, it's a fully new version that they can market as a new improved version instead of just sure. being an updated version I, of the old I one. I think more you importantly, think? you need to send them an invoice for consulting fees because I guarantee <laughs> you those people make like 300 bucks an hour I, I doing can. this type of design consultation. <laughs> Man, if they look, not, uh, even if it's not me, there are plenty of people who would be better at this job than I would be. But if they did that, if they spent just a couple hundred bucks to not just give a freebie to some guy who's just thankful that someone sent him something for free so he's kissing their butt on the internet, send it to someone who actually is being paid to critically review this thing and isn't desperate for attention from a company. If you can do that, you're gonna get better answers and end up with a better product. And it would cost them, you know, one simple consultation fee would do the trick. I don't know, I don't get it, I don't understand it. Anyway, that's my experience so far with uh, with Harvey. It's a, it's a whole heap of good, bad. I will say again, customer service has been top-notch. That was something they dropped the ball on last time and they are 
communication is fantastic. Speed at which they respond, uh, respond to me, fantastic. So that's that's all on the plus side. Um, so Matt, you got a router table. I did. How did that go? <laughs> well, I'll tell you about it, Mark. First oh, of all, I'll tell you why I bought it. For the same kind of Thank reason you. that you were just discussing of there's a lot of free products been pushed out there that has no, I, I, honestly, I couldn't find any like unbiased information about most all of their products. Do you, uh, I'm going to pause you for a second. Like I always thought this was, this was worthy of a dining table episode to talk about this. Is like, is it ruined? Like the whole thing in terms of like people having tools and talking about them. Can you trust anybody anymore? Especially the people who are gaining popularity um, for discussing tools. I, There's just so much free stuff being thrown around. How do you trust I, anybody? I think only I'm I'm well, I'm lucky in the fact that I understand how this stuff works behind the scenes. So when I open yeah. a video and I see the way that they're speaking or the way they're kind of yeah. going about it, I'm like, I know exactly what happened here. And I immediately am like, okay, this person has no integrity as far as their opinion because it is 100% biased at this point. I can see right through it immediately, but some people go out there and they see that, like, oh, cool. They don't really understand, like, okay, technically this person's been compensated by that company, and now they have something to gain by presenting that product in a good light. Mm-hmm. But not everybody can but then see you that, read the, comments, the disclosures aren't there. Right, but you read the comments, and there are thousands of people who are licking it up. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, they just... That's, yeah, yeah. that's why I say I'm lucky, because I understand, I can see through that immediately. Yeah. I, it's not just on YouTube, it's on... I can, you can see it on every platform where these people clearly got something for free and they don't disclose it. Yeah. And it just drives me absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this it's is an interesting ad. too. It should be tagged as an ad. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's across every industry and every product line, but I find myself still being one of those people eating it up in an unfamiliar industry. Like if I'm truly like, yeah. I really don't know what product to buy. YouTube is great for feedback on that. And I do find myself kind of getting, there's no other word for it, suckered into it. But then mm-hmm. like, I'll have those realizations later, Matt, where I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, put your woodworking hat back on. This <laughs> yeah, guy just got this free, you know, doohickey. Um, yep. Yeah. In, and it's everywhere. It's rampant. It's and every platform too. With these reviews, they're just unboxings. I'm like, I don't really care. Like, how <laughs> we got a little crazy back there. There's a little Cremona uh, crawling Matt, by. You guys got a pest problem? I got a big pest problem. They're large rodents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're they're usually thinly veiled unboxings. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to bring anybody's name up, but I had an opportunity recently to find out a little bit more about how some things work with some other popular folks on YouTube. And they're in some situations, and I guess I'm naive to think that this wasn't happening, but they are literally like part of an affiliate program, let's say, and they are essentially spoon fed, not just the product, but almost a script and exactly what points to say and how to say it. And then at the end, push people to buy it. And that is a big part of their monetization strategy. And then you have other people who come to me and say, well, so-and-so said, this is, this is one of the best. And I'm like, why are you listening to them? What is wrong? Like, and I can't, I can't respond like that to people. They have faith in that. Like, I'm not going to, it's not my place, but it, it's so frustrating when you go like, how do you trust anything that person says to you? If they've done this multiple times, you, they, people just don't see it. It's wild. In those instances, those examples, does that disclose that relationship in the video? No. Or anywhere? Isn't that illegal? No, see, the thing is, we we know that this is like a regu- regulated by the FTC, right? This is something yeah. that we are technically supposed to be doing, but there's no ramifications if nobody actually enforces it. And the, mm. the most legitimate companies 
will insist when you have a relationship with them that you do certain things to follow those rules. They that don't happens want to get in trouble big, either. Yeah, it's the bigger companies that are usually very specific about that. Smaller companies, they don't. And it, it's in their um, best interest to keep it on the down low. You know, but I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. The number of people who like made that. purchases based on that is it's it's unbelievable. And well, then there's there's another underground side of this where because I get contacted by companies who who honestly want my opinion and they say you don't have to do a video like we don't I'm, I'm not asking you to do a video or anything. I just honestly want your opinion. But there's also the content creator in me that's like, you know, people would actually like to hear about this. Like I've gotten questions about this tool or that tool. And there's part of me that thinks like, well, here's an opportunity to make a, a video, but it's not. And then like, it's not really a, a sponsorship or anything. And I wonder how many other people have been in that same situation where they're just figuring, well, here's a content opportunity. Let me create this. And, you know, it's totally unofficial, so therefore I'm not disclosing it. But, you know, the court of public opinion is it's still a review. It doesn't really matter yeah. what transpired behind the scenes. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating. And I'll just speak personally. I, I wanna I wanna be noble and say that I've never really done any of this stuff. And frankly, the hand tool market has always been so niche that there aren't a lot of big manufacturers out there who are knocking down my door for sponsorship yeah. opportunities. I was gonna say they're also not giving stuff away for free very often. No, no, very rarely. <laughs> um, but I but I also because of the fact that I have a W two job and I'm I'm you know sometimes wishing that I wasn't working two jobs at the same time. But because I do have that, I've never tried to sponsor or monetize, you know, my YouTube stuff other than the typical AdSense. And what really frustrates me is the flack that I get for happening to take a moment and usually in my live broadcast, because then somebody says, hey, what about that tool? Let's be real, yeah. everybody. Like you could be demoing like the coolest technique ever and all people really want to know is, what about the tool on the background that you didn't <laughs> touch has nothing to do with what you're talking about? That's what yeah. they ask about. And you know, so I, I get put in the position to give on the spot reviews of a tool. And nine times out of 10, it's a tool that I've been using for five, six, 10 years. And I can actually speak with great authority that this is great. And then I get like the comments in the bottom. Oh, well, you know, your sponsor, you got that tool for free. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, I did get that bad axe saw for free nine years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. If it wasn't good. You wouldn't have kept it around. I'm still using it every day. Yeah. It does frustrate me. And I wonder there have to be maybe maybe I'm naive and thinking there has to be content creators out there that are just like putting stuff up you know, for the fun of it. No, that's probably not happening anymore. YouTube's just a big game. Just for the money. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's something they need to do to keep that business going. And they've developed a content business and that's what they do. Getting too old for this. Quote Danny Glover. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. All right. So Matt, I totally derailed this. I'm so sorry. This has been good. Um, I like this. <laughs> let's get back to that, uh, to that router table. What's the well, sitch? Here's so I've only been through the unboxing process so far. I haven't, Actually, use well, you should make a video of that. Anything yet? That's why. Even, <laughs> even why you take us in your shop right now. Take us in your shop right now. We'll do it live on Wood Talk. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. So I have initial impressions, I guess. That's all I can really share at this point. I've never actually, okay. know, again, haven't used it. I can just tell you what I've experienced so far going into it. Uh, so I got the router table, the full router table package from them. So that is the uh, the mobile base stand thingamabobber, whatever you want to call that. Their cast iron top, which is designed to go into a router table wing, but you can mount it to the stand and use it 
standalone. They have two sizes for the two different widths of saws that are out there. Uh, and then their fence, uh, which is like the most expensive router fence you can buy. And then also had also got their dust boot thing that goes around the bottom of the router to contain all the dust or whatever. Okay. Um, I thought everything was reasonably priced except the fence. The fence is $800. The cast iron top is four. Wow. The stand is two. two. I think the dust bucket thing is 150 or something. Okay. So I think the, the fence is kind of out, out in outer space somewhere. I thought Ooh. the the top was reasonably priced for being cast iron. And they don't have a router lift, so you have to put your own lift in yourself and pick whatever you want. I got the, the woodpeckers, the new one, the steel top one, so I can use magnetic feather boards anywhere on the whole table. Cast iron top, insert plate is all magnetic. Nice. Um, so for the unboxing initial impressions, <laughs> this, this is like the one little weird thing that irks me, is that they're marketing this as like a super premium level. Like clearly someone has put some thought into, let's see what we can do to elevate the user experience. Everything mm -hmm. comes out of the box really cleanly and nicely. You're greeted with this nice black envelope that has all your paperwork in it that has like Harvey and like whatever the hell their logo saying is, something about it being amazing. And then you like, you start getting into it and you're like, it feels superficial as you get more <laughs> into the assembly because mm -hmm. like the hardware is all in those generic, really thin crappy baggies all mixed together and you get into the instructions and you're like who the hell printed these and didn't do like any kind of proofreading didn't print them to see how they look in print they just looked them like clearly they just looked at them on a computer they can zoom in to whatever size they want they didn't like think about like oh how's this going to look when it's scaled down to booklet size yeah because the graphics are too small the way they're printed to determine what the hell they're trying to show you <laughs> <laughs> wonderful because it all just kind of like, so you can't yeah. see okay it's supposed to be like a bolt going through a hole with like a washer and a nut and a lock washer. And you're like, okay, all the lines line up. Like the line of the thing going through and the line of the thing that shows you going through line up together. So you you can't actually see the, I'm like, the little details. I'm like, you you, you got so, you were almost there. With, <laughs> so close. With, with, with the user experience. Then like, it's like, so I, I kind of felt a little let down on that one. So I'm like, it just, if, superficial is probably the best way to describe the feeling of the unboxing and setup experience. Yeah. As far as things you have to assemble. The nice thing is a lot of things come pre-assembled. Like the fence was, I think it was fully assembled. You just take it out of the box and slap it on a table. Mm, that's and like good. maybe put the stops on or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the initial impressions on that ridiculous fence is that I felt better when I opened it and pulled it out of the box than before I had opened it and seen like it in person. Because it is fairly substantial. It's like it's pretty big and massive and it's got really nice big knobs. So I feel like the user experience in the using the product will be really good on the fence. Mm -hmm. It's got the adjustable micro adjust thing to move the whole fence in and out by whatever thousandth at a time. It's got the adjustment to move the outfeed fence forward or back relative to the infeed fence again at a thousandth at a time. This, this T-slide things have bearings in it. So you're not just like sliding it in a slot. It's actually rolling in the slot coming in and out. So it moves extremely smoothly. So, mm. Okay, so the products, they feel like they're good, but like what else is going to happen now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I, well, I'm interested as I in hearing more. It, the, yeah. a lot of people ask about the flatness of the top across the whole top of it. I was within two and a half thou, which I thought was pretty good, but I do have the front corner drops off by 12 thou, which is probably pretty incredibly insane, especially if it's supposed to be a cast iron tabletop wing that goes in a table saw. Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't really care because the way I'm using it, it gets on the outside. I think what happened is like, they milled the miter slots in, and that caused some 
distortion in the in the top or whatever. Yeah. So it it's just on the outside area where the matter gauge slots are. So I'm like, I'm not that worried about it, but I would expect it to be like a little more in plane across the whole entire top. Yeah, I mean, if it's going to go out, that's probably the best place. Yeah. In terms of like actually affecting your work. I don't. It's not Still, something you I think care that about. the top would have been milled flat after the slots have been routed. It might have been. It may have been like milled too quickly. Didn't have any kind of stress relief between mm, millings or true. didn't. Who knows? I'm not a metallurgist. We've talked about our metallurgy <laughs> skills not? in the past. Shannon is definitely not a metallurgist. That's yeah historically yeah. accurate. <laughs> I don't even know what metal is. So <laughs> worse off than both of you. And then the other thing I thought the stand was the stand's all aluminum. So it's really light. Ooh, really? But you're mounting so, a whole bunch of heavy stuff yeah. in the air. And it's a mobile three-point base. So I'm like, I don't think it's going to tip over. Maybe when you're moving <laughs> it's it. It's not, not giving you a lot be, of confidence. I'm a, I'm not, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that it's not going to fall over when I'm like. As long as you don't move it in shoving anger. across the shop. <laughs> yeah. You have to take a deep breath before you move it. Calm and then move it. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a really nice mobile base it's got the one little pedal you step down on it and it just picks it up onto the wheels then you set it down onto all four legs so if, I mean mm -hmm. it feels fairly stable but I'll probably put something on the shelf to make it a little bit heavier I think it's very very top heavy interesting okay well, maybe with the router hanging down below it it's still kind of up in the air though that's yeah all it's that's, still up there yeah. hmm okay and you put a, a router lift router. in there and a cast iron top and that mm -hmm. well, the fence isn't that heavy, but it's big. It's a, it's a fairly good amount of weight up in the air on a base mm -hmm. that weighs like maybe 20 pounds, if that. And you don't you don't want to run into like an extension cord on the floor. Rolling that that would, would be that right. would be the most worrisome. As you go and you go and you go and then you hit something like, like a rock or extension cord <laughs> yeah. or anything. One of your any kids. piece of crap on the floor. A, a, a small rodent, you know, whatever. <laughs> a small rodent crawling through, <laughs> the, yeah. The, the sudden deceleration. <laughs> yeah. Could be bad. It might, it might fix that 12,000 out on the front corner. That's though, true. It tips over. It just, might just give it a little knock in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and I think that's, that's one of the interesting things about this. We talked about the in deep industry products and the more premium products that go mostly to pros and to industry professionals. Harvey is one of those companies that's making the premium on the consumer grade stuff in the sense that like you are paying a premium. People do expect a good unboxing experience. They expect good instructions compared to something like, a, you know, a newer company, relatively newer, like SawStop, you know, SawStop oh. from top to bottom, like their instructions are fantastic. That's the pinnacle of user experience. Yeah. If you ever want to, if you're, any companies that are doing this, go see what SawStop's doing. They'll show you how it's done. Uh, oh, but if you are dealing with consumers, people value that. They really like that. And I think Harvey is in that position and certainly seems to be trying to be put into that position where that manual should have been one of the best things you've ever laid your eyes on. That's right? what I mean, I was look expecting. at the pictures. Look at the pictures on their website. It's all like beautifully mm -hmm. photoshopped fake pictures. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know if they started with the original product and then <laughs> doctored them to look fake, but it, it, it's so nicely processed and edited. And, and the sales pages, like it really will late. The, someone's pay attention to that actual layout of the page and then having all the information nicely presented to you as you're shopping. Yeah. That's why I'm like, yeah, it's they, very they, well they done. Went, they got so, they're so close. Mm -hmm. It's like, just take it all the way or don't take it anywhere at all. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta like, you gotta close the deal. Maybe you gotta close they, the circle. 
maybe it's highly possible that they didn't actually do any of that. Like they did the web page, you know, their marketing team and developers did all that stuff. But as oh, far as the technical writer is, you know, outsourced to wherever the motor was it's built. It's probably for the manufacturer because it's all import. So I'm sure mm -hmm. it was yeah. written in it's Chinese not. originally and it's been translated through some translator that no one proofread it because I'm like, I get what you're saying here, but your way, the way you worded this, this is not a native English speaker writing this. Yeah. This, yeah. And they, this is phrased would think very they'd have oddly. The, they'd have the resources to make this happen. You know, there is a U.S. side to this business that, that but again, we don't know the corporate structure. We don't know who has control and they may be all going like, oh, I wish we could fix this manual, but so-and-so, yeah. you know, won't let us. <laughs> I don't know, but they won't again, let us. <laughs> Matt, Matt could very well be the first woodworker in history to actually read instructions. So that's true. I yeah. Mean, most they of recognize their target demographic <laughs> just throws the manual aside. So I think, we'll get to I, that later. Me, the, the the saw stop experience spoiled me for the rest of my life. It's like it's the, it was the same thing. Like the product pages are amazing, the documentation's amazing, the like the pre-sale process is top notch, and then you get the thing, you start unboxing, like they put care into how it was gonna be assembled by that person when they received it. All the fasteners are in that bubble pop thing. Everything's labeled for every single step. Here's the exact bolts you're gonna use in that step, all nicely laid out. And the instruction manual is a spiral bound book with actual yeah. pictures that walk yeah. you through every single step really nicely, really cleanly with detailed instructions of what you're doing and why you're yep. doing it. And I'm like, what the hell? It's like, no, why doesn't you, everybody do this? Just do that, it's, please. It's just not that hard. Yeah, it's not. Right. Uh, well. Do you guys know who does know how to write an instruction manual? Besides all stuff? <laughs> There's only one other company. They sell saw stuff there. Is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Rockler. Rockler knows how to make an instruction manual. And actually, I'm not even kidding. Like if you ever buy a Rockler product, they have good yeah, instruction manuals. They're actually pretty good. True, they do. With like, you know, things that are definitely written in a way you can understand with pictures, you can you can clearly see what's going on. So, and I actually uh, bought cool. a Rockler shop stand and did assemble it. So, and how was that? The, the pictures good? were great. I could read yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, cool. Worked great, and it was blue. You was can a see stand where the made bolt, out of aluminum. Were supposed to go? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mostly steel. Yeah, it was steel. Yeah, okay. And good. aluminum that side. Sounds panel. better. Okay. That's the only crappy well, actually, thing about it being aluminum is now I can't stick all my stuff to the stand. Yeah, you were all excited about the steel and magnetic uh, potential for this yeah. thing. And now it's just aluminum. I'm going to have to plate it. Steel. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, what anyway. a bummer. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, let's get to... Uh, Let's talk about grand openings at Rockler. If you haven't been to a Rockler store lately, you may be missing out. Rockler has been expanding and remodeling many of its stores throughout the country. You'll find an extensive lumber selection, top power tools and accessories, dust collection, router tables, T-Track, hardware, and more. All stores also host a variety of classes for woodworkers of all skill levels. You won't want to miss the latest grand openings for Rockler's Cary, North Carolina and Brentwood, Tennessee stores with events happening every Saturday in January through mid-February. They're also hosting a grand reopening opening event on Saturdays for their, anyone know how to pronounce that? Novi, Michigan? Novi? Novi, Michigan? Novi. You're asking me like I pronounce things correctly. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, we got a, I don't know, maybe a one in five shot that you might. Uh, so that, that one good? in Michigan. All right. Yeah, I think so. I've been, I've been rating it and I have the stats on it. 
so in Michigan, that store, uh, what did they have? The uh, reopening, grand reopening event starting on January 27th, all the way through mid-February. And you can find all the details there at rockler.com. Yay, Rockler. Yay, Rockler. Cool. I skipped kickback in case you guys were wondering because we went right. on so long. I got chit-chatting. Hey. Okay. Basically, people said we listen to the show a lot. Thank you for listening to the show a lot. That was the kickback. So okay, you. yeah, let's do it. Let's real quick. Patty, 31,000 minutes listening Ooh, to our hell. show. We, remember we were talking about the, yeah. the, the what was it, yeah. Spotify tallies. Uh, so Patty says 31,000. Uh, Dan said, what, uh, where did he say it? Did he give us a number? Oh, he he doesn't know. He's like, it's at least 30,000. Uh, it was he's, this he's big, listening. I swear. <laughs> it was so big. You guys should have seen how many minutes I had. Um, he listened to even our old Vanderlist days with uh, DVD reviews and stuff that we did. Oh, I think nice. we called, what do we nice. call those? Board meetings or something? I feel like that would be really cringy to go back and listen to now. <laughs> Every, anything involving me and Vanderlist was cringy. So yeah, that's skip right, the first Mark. couple hundred episodes. <laughs> that's right. That's right, Matt. All right. So let's get to some questions. I got the first one here from Justin. He says, first off, love the show. Look forward to each episode. I'm a power tool woodworker, but I'm learning hand tools a bit at a time to become more of a hybrid woodworker. Copyright credit to Wood Whisperer. Oh, look at that. I think I just got 35 cents in my account. <laughs> Very nice. nice. I have uh, all the tools I need for milling stock, except for a jointer. I currently don't have the funds or space for a standalone jointer, so I have been looking at a benchtop model. But I understand that there's a limit to the size of the boards you can joint on let's a jointer. Let's talk again. Talk about again. Oh, no, no, no. Let's not talk. <laughs> We're going to, we got a different focus on this one. Relax. It'll be Easy. fine. Easy, man. I've considered maybe getting a jointer plane, but those are only so big as well. Why would there be a limitation on board length for a power jointer if the jointer plane only comes in a couple of sizes? What's the difference? And would you recommend a benchtop jointer? or a jointer plane. And at first I kind of, I didn't really totally understand the question at first. And I was like, wait a minute, this actually is a great question from a beginner perspective. If you're trying to understand this, it's a fantastic question. Uh, so I'm gonna see if I could explain this quickly. You guys supplement me if I, if I don't get it right. Nah, you're, um, what's your flail? It's fine. <clears throat> okay. You're on your own. Yeah, you prefer me flailing. Um, if you are using a power jointer, the jointer is static. The tables are dictating how much support you have for the workpiece. And you're taking one long pass start to finish on the board. So if the board has a big cup in it, that's, that's, uh, you know, like an eight foot board, it's really hard for that tool to be able to get the, uh, flatness that you need. It's just kind of, by the time it's referencing, it's still referencing on the infeed and it's now contacting the blades, but it's gonna start moving as the board changes how it interacts with the infeed table, so you'll never be able to get a flat surface unless it's already pretty darn flat to begin with. When you're talking about a hand plane, you're taking the cutting tool to the wood, and you're not doing everything in just one straight pass. You can address an edge, let's just talk about the edge of a board, you can address the edge of the board in sections. So maybe you have a hill in the middle, right? You can hit that with the hand plane, knock that down, and then eventually your goal is to get a nice clean pass all the way across the surface. Imagine if you could, if you could lift your jointer, your floor standing jointer. I mean, Matt's real strong. I think he could probably do this. <laughs> this is why um, you need a benchtop jointer so you can lift it. There, there you go. go. You get a benchtop jointer, <laughs> you keep it plugged in, you turn it on, you flip it upside down, and you've got your board in your workbench, and you were using, actually think of it like you're a- You're describing uh, a power planer is what you're describing. A power hand power planer, planer. right? <laughs> 
you just basically knock down the high spots and then once everything is pretty flat then you can go over the whole surface and make your way across so this is why we only have like um what two sizes mostly for hand planes um joiner planes a seven and an eight and uh, you don't really need anything other than that because that's enough reference surface that you can take off those high spots and then even everything out in one pass when it's uh, when it's all fairly even. So I think it's just the fundamental difference between taking a board to a static immobile tool versus taking the mobile tool that's smaller and using it to kind of hit different parts of the board until you get something that's fairly flat. So in terms of giving you a recommendation, I'm not going to say get a hand plane to do this unless you really, really want to, or the jointer isn't in the cards for a long time. Because if you learn how to use it and you use it correctly, you could do a lot with that jointer plane, obviously, woodworkers and weirdos like Shannon have been doing it for ages. But if you if you really think you're gonna wanna do the power tool thing, that jointer is gonna be real handy to have around. So I would encourage you to get the power jointer. But if it's not in the cards, yeah, of course, take a look at the jointer plane, go uh, watch some videos at the, the Renaissance Woodworker and figure out how to use it. I would I would amend that and say don't buy a joiner plane but buy a jack plane. Mm. I, I think see he says he has all the tools for milling stock except a joiner. So I'm assuming he has a planer in there. And we've all seen how to flatten boards with a planer either building a sled or you know or I the hybrid method that I use is using a hand plane to knock off those high spots to get it to like not rock on the planer bed and then run it through and you can get a flat and parallel face. So really it comes down to the edges. And he's trying to clean up, you know, I mean, certainly you can flip a board on edge and run it through a planer um, to a certain extent. So if if his thing is I want to use a power joiner in order to get a square and flat edge, um, a hand plane will do that a lot easier for you than trying to flatten a face. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't buy a joiner plane in order to flatten the face of the board. If you have a, a planer already, like if you're using a hand plane to flatten the face of the board, you're not a hybrid woodworker anymore. <laughs> You're, yeah. you're a nutcase like me. Um, but if you're, I, I know so many beginners to hand planes that buy a joiner plane because there is this idea like with power joiners, the longer, the better, right? So I, I should buy a 22 or 24 inch plane. It is a difficult plane to use. It requires a lot of technique to get it done right. And you will screw up a board much faster with a longer, heavier hand plane. I would highly recommend if you're, if you're joining the edges, get a jack plane. It's a heck of a lot easier to work with. The technique is easier to understand. It's much more functional and it's a utility player. It is a jack of all trades plane. You'll be able to find it for a lot of other purposes and you won't struggle quite so much. Plus, if your plane is 15, 18 inches long and you've got that blade projecting a thousandth or two thousandths or five thousandths of an inch, the tolerance of the flatness that you're getting out of that is way flatter than anything you need. So adding that extra six inches of length to the plane is going to, yes, increase your flatness, but to what end? Like, who are you trying to impress? It just doesn't have to be that flat. And I think you'll struggle and get more turned off to hand planes with a joiner mm -hmm. than you would with a jack. Well, and he expressed his intention to kind of go into the hybrid woodworking arena. It sounds like a jointer is in his future in some way. Yeah. Um, I don't have a joiner plane. Yeah, the, you'll never no use it again one. once you got your power joiner. Hell, I it's barely fun. use my joiner plane. Matt, um, what do you use yours for? Just like feeling powerful. Shaving? <laughs> just, I know what you use it for. Taking pictures. There Promo pictures. I do yeah. use it for that too. Uh, I use it's it a good lot to like for, um, nestle it into your hip and just hold it there. And it's right. It works great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I use it for waterfall joints. 
is what I usually use it for. Yeah, there's so like, that's okay. a doing great, a minor great use. case work. Sure, mm-hmm. I need that thing to be like pretty darn perfect. And the one thing, biggest advantage of the joint planes, it has so much mass that if you give it, it's got the inertia. Once you give it some inertia, like you, <laughs> any kind of weird changing in the grain, any kind of changing the density, you don't really feel it like into your arms. It's, mm-hmm. you can, no. You're utilizing the moment, the momentum of the tool itself. It has a very different feel than using any other normal size plane where like you can feel any little bit of drag you hit along the way. The jointer plane is just like, glides the whole time because it's just yeah. you're pulling the inertia out of the plane to make it's, that cut. you're just you're just cementing my point that it causes bad technique um oh i know you you I want was, that I'm feedback you want that tactile feedback i get I what you're that. saying and i totally agree with you and i think in an experienced hands that mass is fantastic but for somebody who first picks up a plane they're like oh yeah and they just oh, yeah, like, be- they're they're throwing the thing out of flat and they don't even realize it because it's like, it's yeah. playing on autopilot. This mass is great. Pulling a China like, shop situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah it is and it, it isn't problems. either because it's so long. Like you're going to be planning air for a while. Yeah. Until you actually too, get really into the flatness that plane can actually get to. So that might be yeah. frustrating as well because you're like, I'm, just, I'm not hitting anything. And you start right. cranking the wheel down. And you're like, <laughs> you start advancing my thing the blade. 12 thou, and it's like, right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> way too to big of a cut now. What the hell? You wheel back out and like you can't find the cut. So that it definitely is not a beginner plane. I'll, I'll agree with Shane on that one. So real quick, if you had to give this guy advice, uh, Justin, if he let's say budget wise, either benchtop jointer, which I don't think any of us are really a big fan of, benchtop jointer or a jointer plane. Do we decide if we're doing we, face jointing or edge jointing? Well, he's gonna have to do both, right? I mean, he's got the plane. Well, he he's got other specifically? options. Because like, just woodworking. I, I I recommend <laughs> honestly Very nice. like the, the the answer is is super secret option number three oh cut God. your board shorter. Yeah, this is smaller projects. Th- no, this yeah, is just that, this I is guess. just something I'm I'm going to I'm cut going them to shorter alienate. and then glue them back together. You know, it's fine. It's it's not yeah. an episode unless I pick uh, piss somebody off. So I'm going to alienate oh, all no. the power tool woodworkers and say I see so many of you power tool guys jointing like nine and ten foot boards. Like, are you making a nine and ten foot part? Like, are Maybe you making? Are. If you are, then fine. But like outside of like a bed, like a bed rail, or you know, you possibly like tables, you know, a conference table or something like that. Rarely, our furniture parts get much beyond 36 to 48 inches. There are those mm-hmm. furniture forms, like we just mentioned, conference tables, beds, <laughs> but like this is, and, and I, I, I kind of want to blame Norm, like in the TV shows, it's like they bring the rough lumber in and you set up your shop so that it flows into your milling tools and you mill your boards flat and you do the edges and you get it S4S and then you take it over and I guess, you know, because it's safer to cross cut on a table saw when it's already milled not safer. It's safe. <laughs> don't, don't cross cut on a table saw roughs on boards, but there's so few people who are talking about, okay, I've got this board. I know I'm going to make any of these parts. Let's cross cut it down to size because you're going to reduce, remove less material. If you're joining a 36 inch board, than an eight foot long board. And I see so many people. I, I, I think this doing kind of comes work. into like this weird, like crossover from production shops and like yeah. actual furniture shops. Production shops, no one's face jointing anything. They're going S to S on the planer. They'll hit the yeah. edge on the jointer, or if mm-hmm. they have a straight line ripsaw, they'll go through there and they collar parts that way. So when the, yeah. someone's need a 36 part, a 24 inch part, an 18 inch part, they just pull from the same stock. 
They have exactly. all dimensional most, sizes. Most millwork houses are set up. They've got a milling department and all they do is just mill lumber. Yes. And they have, they have general uh, um, ideas of thicknesses are going to be required. The door shop is running. We're going to need to start with 10 quarter material, et cetera. And yeah, it gets cut down from there. This does not apply in this world. And I see so also, many I, people. I agree. I 100% agree. I, I just think it just comes from like the, the carpentry world trying to do furniture. Yeah. To yeah. piss people Is off. It, it, well, here's the problem. I don't watch anybody, really, so I haven't seen this. Like, I, every one of my projects basically starts with breakdown. Breaking a, a rough board down, maker. and then I start you're not a milling. Maker. So, But well, who, who, are, who are these people? Who are you guys watching that's doing this? It's not watching. Uh, I mean, it's just industry. I know. Shannon's talking about specifically just, watching people. I've, I've oh, seen it done on YouTube. I've also seen people who... Uh, shouldn't say, let me use a different word there. I have people come to me asking this question all the time okay. and they're like, how am I supposed to joint this eight foot board or and similar to, uh, Justin is saying, you know, if it, do I have to have like a really long board and he actually doesn't think a joiner plane is long enough at 24 yeah. inches because he's got these long boards. Like, why is that not long enough? Like read between the lines there. He's trying to joint boards that are so long that he thinks a 24 inch long plane isn't long enough. But then I've got lots of people, every time I've done a live thing on YouTube, every time I do a live office hours thing in the Hintel School, I get people who show up and are asking questions about how I'm dealing with long boards. You know, um, I used to have a power joiner and I could deal with it then. I'm like, whoa, 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 why? Like, what are you building that you need a nine foot board? And I there's, mean, there's right. a lot That's... of people out there who, when I tell them, I say this all the time, it's one of the things in the Hintel School make fun of me for this. One of the things I say all the time is the fastest way to flatten a board is with a handsaw. Doesn't matter the plane that that saw cutting the board in half will flatten it way faster than any plane ever could do, and it's become this like this dogma in the hand tool school. But people still come to me and I tell them that, and they smack their forehead like, "Why didn't I think of that?" Because somebody is told them Norm, you know, or you know, I don't know why I'm blaming Norm at this point because even Norm is is outdated. These people aren't watching the Norm he can't on YouTube. Fight back? Yeah, probably. Um, but, but we're also, I mean, just look at this Harvey discussion we've had. There is a market now for power tools that are multiple thousands of dollars. There is a market for pro-level tools at the consumer level. Like Harvey is trying to straddle the $100,000 machine that I play with at the Millwork House and the Delta table saw, you know, the consumer brand. There now is this market for people to have bigger shops, to have industrial sized tools at the consumer level. So we've got bigger and bigger joiners, bigger and bigger planers. Hell, I have a 20 inch planer. I'm a hand tooler and I have a 20 inch planer. Tell me what's wrong with the universe in that respect. So this leads people to thinking, I've got these bigger machines. I ought to be able to go and buy a 10 foot board, join it into this perfectly S4S board and go from there. You know, I do milling and I'm done. No more milling. Now it's joinery. And I go from nine foot board to joinery. And it's like, what the hell? Like there's, there's very little thought that goes into that. And I've totally well, taken uh, us down a rabbit hole. I realize. No, you're, you're totally right. And going back to, um, what are we on? We're still on the first show. God. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> this is our last question. Maybe <laughs> in the beginning, when I talked to, uh, talked about the Ava's vanity project, uh, doing that sort of thing, that methodology is awful. Not only is it like inefficient, <laughs> but it could land you in hot water when yeah. you go to cut those pieces down and they're already at their final thickness and uh, final dimension. And then they're going to go crazy because you just 
cut the board down and released a bunch of tension. You know, like it's just a recipe for disaster. So maybe Justin, I don't know uh, if you if you're listening to this, maybe uh, you are thinking about these long boards that aren't really necessary for your project, and you haven't thought about cutting them down. Um, maybe maybe this will solve some problems for you. The the only okay. other thing I will say is when you do run into that situation where you have to have the eight foot board, the longer the board is, the easier it is to clamp out bow. <laughs> Just going to say it. True. Like, yeah. You know, you're Keep gonna if you're gonna have an eight foot board, there's probably gonna be some infrastructure in there. Think of a bed. Mm-hmm. You've got a cross rail somewhere in there. That cross rail and the joinery can pull that bow out. And in fact, you probably should rely upon that because if it doesn't, that board's gonna sag over time. Yeah. Like if there were no support. So the, the longer the board is, the less flat it has to be because the more flexible the board is. Yeah. Make yeah, sure you check sure. your bed rails for crown. Crown yeah, your bed rails. You go. <laughs> Good idea. There you go. All right, Matt, let's get out of here. Hurry up. You want me to actually do this? Okay. All yeah, right. let's go fast. Go fast. How long will the show be? Okay, this is from Axel. <laughs> I'm just going to paraphrase this. Axel lives in Northern Ontario. His shop's an outbuilding. It's 20 by 20. It's built cheaply. OSB floors sitting on posts on a gravel pad. He needs to replace the roof. And uh, after he does all these things, he's wondering if it's worthwhile to finish the interior. All his previous workshops were 2x4 framing with three-quarter ply wedged into a corner of the basement storage closet. So basically, he's used to a shop that's an unfinished framed building with open stud bays. And he's asking, is it worth it to add some kind of finishing to the face of the walls to make it more picturesque, pleasant, and cozy? So Hell yes. Yeah, so Instagram I, uh, worthy. Fine. Okay. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shannon. You're next. <laughs> yes. I, I lived through that. Like over the years, I realized the shop is my, like my space. It's my place to go to feel inspired and feel happy about it. And when I just got started, I don't really care what it looked like. Cause it was just like, I'm there. I don't really care if the walls are open and ugly and it's dark and dim and dank but the more time you spend out there and the more you realize like this is my like go-to space to feel good about myself and to feel motivated to do things the more i want the space to reflect that really inviting clean bright space that i like so my shop is fully drywalled everything's the walls are painted white the ceilings are white i got a crap ton of lights in there and that's the space that i really like do what you want i i definitely a little bit of investment in like prettification of your space i think Mm -hmm. has some really good return on just you being excited and motivated to actually go out to the shop and, There's a uh, little girl. and, and work. Thank you for these keys. Was oh, that for a the key back to? door that we don't have anymore. Okay. All oh, right. Good. good to know. That in the garbage. Good deal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in this too. Um, you spend a lot of time in that space, especially if it's a full-time gig or it, I mean, if it's your hobby. You're there for mm-hmm. fun. And there's also functional reasons to have, you know, decent walls and things that are fun to look at. I had a couple guests come into the shop recently and I found myself kind of explaining like why this is not more of a utilitarian space. It is very utilitarian, but like if you're expecting this to look like a cabinet shop and you see a picture of, you know, George from Seinfeld posing on a bed in his underwear, you, like what is going on here? It's like, yeah, but this is my fun space. I want to yeah. look around and see things that I recognize that I enjoy, that inspire me to come into the space and do it again tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's a super important thing. Heck yeah. Yeah, I've got limited edition Spider-Man pencil sketches framed on the wall in my shop. (laughs) Yeah, nothing wrong with that, man. good stuff, man. All right, this question is from Luke. Uh, I subscribe to the hybrid woodworking style. I have a number five plane. It's an absolute... (laughs) 35 cents. Todd, really, you need to you need to throw in a little cha-ching sound effect every time hybrid woodworker is mentioned. No! 
Yeah. And some sort of some sort of little like stock ticker that rolls across yeah. the bottom of the screen. That'd be <laughs> good stuff. No. Anyway, uh, Luke has a number five plane. It's an absolute workhorse. However, he feels like he needs a dedicated smoothing plane. It was wondering if a number three or a number four would be a better complimentary plane to the number five. This is obviously an opinion. You're going to hear 17 different answers from 17 different woodworkers. Personally, I go with a number three. Since you already have a number five and it's already working for you, that the size difference from the five to the four, it's significant. But if you're looking for a dedicated smoothing plane, what you want your dedicated smoothing plane for, it's prep before finish, right? You're cleaning up the wood. You're making it pretty. It's not about flattening at that point. So the number three is a shorter wheelbase on it. It's going to roll in and out of the contours of the board. It's going to clean up the tear out a lot faster. You're sacrificing a little bit of mass, but I think mass in a smoothing plane, it's not a, a negligible thing, but I think it's highly overrated. There's so many people out there espousing, you know, super massive smoothing planes. Yes, it works, but a sharp blade is gonna work too. A tight mouth is gonna work. A close chip breaker is gonna work. The mass is just kind of a, an extra thing. For your typical boards, if all you're doing all day long is working with gnarly jungle wood, then maybe mass might come into play. But personally, I love my number three. I use it way more than my number four because it's shorter, it's more agile, and it cleans, cleans up tear out in difficult to reach spots. I don't have to worry about flattening, I just get to smooth it. Okay, very good. Okay. Okay, well, family-owned since 1954, Rockler is your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, that's all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $49. And remember to head to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win a $250 gift card. Graffiti! Oh, red. I was having flashbacks to the Micro Machine Man while you were reading that. that <laughs> yeah, that really that's great. Good. Go look that up. Those are fun. <laughs> Send in your questions, folks. We can't do the show without your questions, or we could, but you really don't want to listen to that. So go to <laughs> woodtalkshow.com, fill out the form, or just send us an email, uh, record a voicemail, and attach it to your email, and send it to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. That's how you get us. That's how the show gets built. Keeps us from having to work. We just pull things out of the inbox paste them in here and then read them mm -hmm. it's great we love it we love it great system we, we developed here <laughs> right. well thank you Custom. for listening everybody <laughs> yeah thanks for listening everyone we'll catch you next time bye bye